This morning, turn with me, if you would, please, to Mark chapter number 1. Mark chapter number 1. We're going to begin reading in verse number 9. Mark chapter number 1, verse number 9 this morning. I hope that you're inviting people and uh, uh, making plans to be here next next, uh, Sunday, 7.30, 9.30, and 10.50 will be our service times All right, Mark chapter 1, verse number 9. The Bible says this, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John and Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was, in the, uh, with, was with the wild beast. And the angels ministered unto him. Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, please help us today. Lord, we uh, gather here today, we gather because of Jesus Christ. Lord, the songs that we're saying today about the cross, Lord, we thank you for salvation that we have because you were willing to leave heaven's home and come to this earth, bear our sin upon that cross. Lord, you gave your life so that we could have life. And Lord, we'll celebrate in one week the resurrection of you. And we thank you and we praise you Uh, for what you did for us, so that we could be redeemed back to God. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would just calm our spirits, help us to understand your word. Lord, we pray that you speak to us. Encourage today those that need encouragement. Lord, those that need to be saved today, I pray your Holy Spirit would convict them, show them their need of a Savior, and I pray by faith today they would trust in your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray you take every part of this service and be pleased with it. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to the beginning of Mark, and today I just want to talk about who is Jesus. Who is Jesus? Because next Sunday we're going to look at this Jesus that went to the cross and was placed into the grave, and the Bible says that three days later he arose from the dead. And and so I want to look today, a week before next Sunday, and just look who is Jesus. And Mark chapter 1 identifies and tells us about this Jesus of Nazareth. He comes in, John is baptizing in this, this uh, Jordan River. He's baptizing a great multitude of people. There's a man named John who was preaching that Jesus Christ was going to come. He was not saying that he was the Savior. He was simply saying that the Messiah, the Savior, is going to come. And he is now at this place in the Jordan River baptizing, and Jesus Christ comes and meets John here at the river. And to establish the deity of Christ, here Mark begins by sharing his introduction, Jesus' introduction to the ministry. And when I say that word deity, the deity of Christ, that's a very important word for us because the deity of Christ means simply this, that Jesus is God. If Jesus was not God, then what Jesus did upon the cross would not have been sufficient for us to be forgiven of our sins. 
God himself left heaven's home. There are many today that say that Jesus existed, but Jesus was just a prophet, that Jesus was just a teacher, that Jesus was just a, a good man. But the Bible tells us this in John, the book of John, John that uh, Jesus was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And so we find that Mark, in each of the Gospels, they are starting out with the fact that Jesus Christ is God. And that's what we build our foundation upon. We build our foundation upon Jesus is God. He's the Son of God. And so Mark, Mark begins in this portion of Scripture to tell us who this man Jesus is. He tells us he's traveled from Galilee. Galilee is the northernmost region of Israel. He travels some 50 or 60 miles to this place where John is baptizing. Our text begins with this. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came. I want you to just see these three small little words, in those days. In those days, these must have been amazing days. I want you to think about that time. God had, to this point, worked in such a supernatural way. He cultivated the, the landscape of, of human affairs into a perfect moment so that Christ could begin his ministry. And Christ began his ministry so that you and I could be redeemed back to the Father. What a wonderful ministry this is. And so Jesus comes to begin his earthly ministry. And John the Baptist, he's accomplished his work. He is there to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. And I want you to see, first of all, in this passage of Scripture, the first couple verses here, 9, 10, and 11, we find that Mark is giving us his identification. If you're taking notes this morning, I just want you to write down, we find his identification. I want you to just think about this amazing scene. I'm looking forward to our trip to Israel in October. We're going to gather at the Jordan River, and there's going to be a baptismal service there at the uh, Jordan River while we're there. And what a wonderful, what a wonderful thing it's going to be. And, and when I read portions of Scripture like this, and then to think to be able to go to this place at the Jordan River to, to see this happening, but this, here in this place there were people being baptized in great numbers. John the Baptist is preaching He's preaching to, to, uh, for them to confess their sin. He's preaching them to, to, to leave their sin and, and look for the Messiah. There's one great uh, uh, preacher who said this, John the Baptist, all, uh, he baptized all who repented, acknowledged their guilt, and sought forgiveness of sin. This was the emphasis of John's ministry. He granted baptism as a sign of, of the cleansing of God only to those who genuinely acknowledged their need before God by confessing their sins. And there were thousands of people that came to have their sins forgiven. But when Jesus, in this passage of Scripture, when Jesus presented himself for baptism, Matthew tells us this, that he hesitated. And, and in reading, reading this, I believe this, as you read the life of Christ, it's so important to read all of the Gospels. And just because you find something in one Gospel that's not maybe stated in another Gospel, it doesn't mean that the Bible contradicts itself. 
Each of the writers of the Gospels, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, and, and the Holy Spirit of God shared with them, told them exactly what to write. And if you take all of the Gospels and put all of the Gospels together, you get that story of what happened here this day. And so we find that Matthew, Matthew wrote something that we don't find in Mark. Matthew wrote this, when Jesus, but when, when John forbid him, saying, I have no need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me, we find that in Matthew 3.14, we find that John says to Jesus, wait a minute, I, there's no reason for you to come to be baptized of me. I, I need to be baptized of you. Now, I want you to remember that John the Baptist, he saw Jesus growing up. He might not have yet understood really who Jesus was, but he knew this. Growing up, he never saw Jesus commit a sin. He knew this, that growing up, he never saw Jesus do anything against his parents. He must have seen Jesus so different than everyone else that he'd ever seen growing up. And so we find that Jesus comes to John. The Bible says that John is very hesitant in, to baptize him. The Bible says this in John 1, 32 and 33, And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize this, this water, with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And so we, saw, we read of John and what his remarks is of this baptism. We see Matthew and what he says of the baptism of Jesus Christ. And we find here in Matthew 3.15 also Jesus answering and said unto him, Suffer it to be, uh, be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And so Jesus, we find, was submitting to baptism. I believe the reason we find that Jesus is submitting to baptism is because he's identifying with each of us. Jesus identified with John the Baptist and his ministry. He identified with humanity who shares a common need of forgiveness. And he identified with his Father in heaven. He said this, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In verse number 11, God is saying, You are the one that I sent. You are my beloved son. We find in John or Mark chapter 1 that God himself is saying, the one that you baptized, John, is my beloved son. He's not just a, a good man that is born. He's not just a man with charismatic ideas about religion. God sees his son being baptized and he identifies him by saying, thou art my beloved son. And so the foundation of everything we believe Leading up to the resurrection of Christ, we find that God says, you're my son. No other place would you find, no other place would you find that God is, is saying that that is his beloved son. We remember in John chapter 3, verse 16, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So we find the promise of God that I love mankind so much that I'm going to redeem mankind back to me. The only way to do this is that God himself must leave heaven a perfect God, a holy God, a sinless God. He he must leave heaven's home and come to this earth and shed his blood as the payment for mankind's sin. And no normal human's blood is sufficient to be the payment for sin. No good teacher is sufficient to be the payment for mankind's sin. 
didn't matter how good works Jesus did. It didn't matter how great of a teacher he was. It didn't matter how great of an orator he was. All that mattered and all that matters to us is this, that the foundation of our belief is this, that Jesus Christ is God. The deity of Christ. He identified, God identified Jesus Christ as his son. I want to ask you this morning a question. With whom are you identified? Are you identified with Christ? Has there been a time in your life that you acknowledge that you too were a sinner? There's a time in your life that you acknowledge that you were a sinner, that religion can't save you, that good works can't save you, that no matter how much you tried, that you cannot obtain salvation in your own self. With whom do you identify? Are you like Jesus who counted it all joy to identify with his father? The work, do the work which he was called to or... Maybe you're like Peter. Peter was ashamed, and, and then he was angry to be identified with Christ. The Bible tells us in Luke, or, uh, I'm sorry, the Bible tells us, yes, in Luke chapter number 22, verse number 56, the Bible says, but a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, this man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, woman, I know him not. This is Peter after Jesus is taken captive there in the garden. And after a little while, another saw him and said, thou art also of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. And about the same space of an hour after another firm saying, of a truth, this fellow also was with him. For he is a Galilean. And Peter said, man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. Peter had an opportunity to identify himself with Christ, and he denied Christ. My question today to you is this. Do you identify with Christ? Or are you ashamed of Christ? Has there been a time in your life where you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Or do you say this, if it's going to happen, I'm going to do what needs to be done? Peter here was at a place in his life where someone three different times, someone said this, you are with Christ. I, I know who you are. I can tell who you are. I've seen you with Christ. And Peter denies and curses and says he, he never knew Christ. Who do you identify with? We find this in this passage of Scripture. First, we find that God identifies Christ. He says, he's my son. He's the one that's come to die. I want you to also see this in verse number 12 of Mark chapter 1. The Bible says, And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. I want you to think about this time. We learn in verse 12 that immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. We find that God, Jesus begins his earthly ministry, he comes to this place where there's great multitudes of people gathered. 
they're gathered being baptized. They're asking for forgiveness of their sin, and they're looking for the Messiah. They're believing in the message that John the Baptist has preached. John the Baptist wasn't preaching that he was the Messiah. He was preaching that he was making a way for the Messiah to come. All of John the Baptist's preaching now has come to an end at this moment because what he was preaching has now come to pass. Jesus, the Messiah, now stood before John and stood before that multitude, and John baptized him. And, and, and the Bible tells us that when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove, and, and he ver heard a voice from heaven that this is his beloved Son, and whom he's well pleased. And so we find that G God identifies who Jesus is, and now we find that this preparation that must take place. Wearsby, maybe many of you know Wearsby, a great Christian author, wrote this, no time was spent basking in the glory of the heavenly voice or in the presence of a heavenly dove. The servant had to take a task to perform and he immediately went to do it. You would think now would be a great time for Jesus to, he's got a multitude of people. Now he could begin to preach about heaven and preach about the cross and preach about forgiveness and preach about the, uh, uh, salvation. But immediately what we find is that God sends, he sends, he, div he divinely appoints and sends Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days. Jesus begins to fast for, for those 40 days. Has anyone fasted for 40 days? Has anyone fasted for 40 hours? About four hours. That's long enough, isn't it? 40 days. Jesus is here in the wilderness. I believe this. It's in the wilderness that God so often he prepares us. It's in those wilderness times in our life that God proves us and he provides training for his people. Most of us don't like the, the wilderness times. It's the wilderness times where we're tired and we're weary. But it's in the wilderness times that God ministers to us. He prepares us. He proves us. Jesus went into this time of the wilderness, and when I read this passage of Scripture, it encourages me to think that Jesus went into this time because he wanted to be and understand and, and know exactly what we as human beings were going through. As you go through trials in your life, as you go through the wilderness time in your life, and you wonder, God, do you understand? I want you to understand this, that he does understand. He made it a point to understand us. Jesus could have began his ministry. He could have began preaching. He had a multitude of people already around him. But God says to his son, I need you to prepare. I need you to go into this wilderness. And I think of Moses and his time in the desert that preceded his work and the leadership that God had for him. Moses needed to be in the wilderness for a time. I think of Paul the apostle, after he was converted and saved, he spent time in the desert of Arabia outside of Damascus. Before the great Apostle Paul began his teaching and his ministry, he had to get alone with the Lord. And before Moses began his great work of leadership, he spent some time on the backside of the desert hearing from God. And before Jesus began this earthly ministry, he spent 40 days in the wilderness. And 
Each and every one of us may have to go through that wilderness time in our life, but we go through that time because God seeks to prepare you. That wilderness time is not a time of waste. That wilderness time is not a time of, of, of just sorrow and, and unnecessary. It's a time where God proves us. It's a, it's a time where God provides for us. It's a time for us to simply get along with Him and realize it's through Him that we have our strength. So we find Jesus in this wilderness. This desert wilderness times are essential for all of us. And this time in the wilderness, it's important for Christ. Matthew records this. And when the tempter, that tempter is Satan, that tempter come to him, he said, if thou be the Son of God, Command that these stones be made bread. Now, we know that Jesus can do this. Remember, just in a little bit, Jesus is going to take bread and he's going to break it. He's just going to keep breaking it. He's going to take fish and he's going to just keep breaking it. He's going to feed 5,000. He's going to feed 4,000. He's going to say to the, uh, uh, the disciples at one point, just cast your nets on the other side. And they cast their nets on the, just the other side of the boat and they fill their nets till they begin to break. You find Jesus doing miracle after miracle after miracle. Jesus could have looked at that bread and said, I want that bread to become, or that stone to become bread. I'm hungry. I tell you, after 40 days of not eating, you might have even taken a bite out of that stone, you know. He's hungry. He's weary. He's tired. The devil comes to him and begins to tempt him. We know this, that Hebrews says, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Well, that verse ought to encourage you what that verse is saying, that Jesus Christ went through exactly what you went through. He understands what you are going through. He understands you, except the fact that he did it without sinning. He was pure and he was holy and he was just. But he hurt like you hurt. He hungered like you hungered. He was tempted like you were tempted. Oh, listen, that is so important for us because in just a week we're going to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior and we can celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. He is our Savior. He is our King because he resisted the temptation of Satan. If he would have fallen at this point, we wouldn't have had a Redeemer. We'd have nothing to celebrate uh, when resurrection came around. But he came, he was tempted like you're tempted. He went through the pain. He understands the agony that you and I have been through. And the Bible says that he was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And it's interesting here. It's interesting that the Bible says that we're tempted in all points. It's important for us to see. There's a great parallel, Hill, I want, a parallel I want you to see. That great parallel between the temptation of Christ and, and that of Adam. I won't ask you to turn to this, but I'm going to read Genesis chapter 3 for you. Adam, the first Adam, the first man that was created, he lived in a, a serene setting. He lived in the Garden of Eden. What a perfect setting this was. And Satan, the tempter, came calling in Genesis chapter 3, 
I'm going to read the verse six verses for you. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye should not eat of the every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which, thou, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. He's testing, he's, he's calling God a, a liar here. He says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good from evil. And I want you to see here, I want you to see this passage of Scripture. He says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, mark that down, good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Adam was tempted through the points of pleasure. Adam was tempted through the points of possession. And he was tempted through the point of position. Or they're also called this, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And these are the same areas in which Christ faced temptation from Satan. You see, Satan does... It's the same trick. Satan's been at this for thousands of years. He knows where your weaknesses are. He tries to get you in those same areas, the same areas that he tried to get Adam and Eve, and the same areas that he tempted Christ are the same areas that he tempts you, the points of pleasure, the points of possessions, and the points of position, or the lust of the flesh, or the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. Those are the same areas that Satan so masterfully has so often, and so, so uh, 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 each time with each human, he keeps this same way, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Now, it might look a little bit different for each person, but it's the same tactics that Satan uses. These are the same tactics that Satan used against Christ. First, the devil appealed to the lust of the flesh. He said this in Matthew 4, 3 and 4, as Jesus is out here in the desert for 40 days fasting, as the angels are ministering to him, the tempter comes because the tempter knows if I can get this man to sin, if this is the son of God, and I can entice him to sin, as I, as I did to the first Adam, if I could get this one to sin, the son of God, then all the redemption plan will be failed. And so what he does, he does this. He goes after the lust of the flesh. Jesus is hungry. He's weary. He's tired. And Satan says when the tempter, when the Bible says when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You know what's interesting here? Satan says the same, the same tactic. He says, if thou be the son of God. You know what? He is the son of God. How, you know, how do we know he is the son of God? Because God just said he was 40 days earlier. When he came up out of that water, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But what Satan gets you to do is Satan constantly tries to get you to doubt the word of God. 
He constantly puts that in your thoughts and in your mind. Are you sure that God knows what he's talking about? He did the same thing to Eve in the garden. He said, what is it that you're not allowed to do? I'm not allowed to touch that tree. And he begins to make Eve doubt what God said. Oh, he does the same tactic to you, this lust, this lust of the flesh. He gets you at a weak point. He gets you at a point in your life where you, maybe you're weary. He gets you at a place in your life where, you, where you're a little tired and Satan begins to question God, question God in your mind and question God in your ear and begins to get you to doubt who God is. And if God said it, is it really true? But I want you to know this and know this, whether you're in the, in the, in the valley or on the mountaintop, whether you're in the desert, whether you're encouraged or discouraged, courage today, no matter where you're at in your life, always know this, that Satan's goal is to get you to doubt God, but God's word, it's always true. It doesn't matter the condition you find yourself in. God's word is always true, and his word is always, always able to be lived upon. Jesus is here. He gets him, he said, if you be the son of God. I want you to see the next set, set, uh, step of Satan. He appeals to the lust of the eyes. The Bible says this, and the devil taketh him up into the holy city, setteth upon a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up. Lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against the stone, Jesus said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I want you to remember this, below that pinnacle of the temple, people probably stood and they were worshiping. If Jesus would have leaped, we know that he would have been delivered by these angels. The crowd would have worshiped him for this, this act. Jesus answers, answers him, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. It's interesting what he does is he begins to tempt now. He begins to tempt Jesus. He says, if God is true, then he'll do what he said here. So why don't you jump? You know, sometimes, sometimes Satan will use scripture to discourage us. To get us to question God. Well, God said that he'll supply all of your needs, and why do you still have this need? Maybe God doesn't mean it with you. He says that God, God in his word, says he'll never leave you nor forsake you, but doesn't it seem like God has forgotten about you? That's how Satan works. He uses Scripture against Scripture. It's a tactic that he always plays. You're not important to God because if you're important to God, God wouldn't allow you to go through this. You're not important to God. You can't trust his word because, yes, I know, I know, I know he says it here, but look, he's not coming through over here like he said he would. He says, if you're the son of God, okay, let's just say that you are the son of God, then jump off of this pinnacle because if God says you're his son, he'll save you. Let's prove this. Don't fall for Satan's tactics. Don't fall for Satan's tactics. Finally, Satan tries a temptation aimed at the pride of life or the desire to have power. Again, the devil, 
In Mark 4, 8 through 10, again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and all the glory of them, and saith unto him, all these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, get thee hence, Satan, from it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. We find that Satan goes after the pride of life, the pride of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the flesh. He always is tempting you in these ways. With Adam's defeat in the garden, mankind fell. When mankind, when Adam fell to these, every single one of us now are born into this world a sinner. The Bible says in Romans 5, 12, wherefore as by one man sin entered in the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for all, for all that have sinned. You know what the Bible is saying there? Because Adam fell for these, we're all born sinners. There's not a person in this room that wasn't born with a sin nature. And because of that, we need a savior. And that's why Jesus came. He came to die for those that needed a savior. He came to die for all mankind. He came to die for you, and he came to die for me. The Bible says, as it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. In 1 Corinthians 15, 45, listen, the first Adam, he sinned, but the second Adam that came, he was made a quickening spirit. In Adam, we're all born in, in, uh, dead in trespasses and sin. In, in Adam, all of us are born destined to sin, destined to pay the consequences for sin. But Christ, we have been quickened or we've been made alive, the Bible says, and we can now know victory through his power. There's no hope for humankind that's born through Adam, but we have hope because the Savior, Jesus Christ, he conquered death, he conquered the grave, he conquered hell, and because of that, we are quickened or we are made alive through him. We have life because of Jesus Christ. Listen, the, the story would be so sad if we just ended it with this. Sorry, we are, we are destined to death because Adam uh, sinned. What a horrible tragedy that would be if that's all we had. Boy, instead of, instead of there being uh, tears of joy at birth, every mother and every father would have tears of sorrow knowing that they brought someone into this world that their destiny is simply going to be death. My wife has brought five beautiful children into the world, and each one we've had tears of joy. We've looked at those children and we thought what a wonderful life they're going to have. What a wonderful God they have. We prayed from their early age that they would be saved and that God would use them. And, and as each one of them got saved, as each one of them now, all five and at this point have, have trusted Christ as their Savior, all five have professed Jesus Christ as their Savior. Imagine if we didn't have that to look forward to. Imagine in that hospital bed, I looked at Michelle and I looked at that child and I'd say, we've got to do our best to give that child child a good life because when this child dies there's no hope there's no hope they're going to spend eternity in hell so let's just make this life good what a miserable life that would be if all we had was the best that this world had to offer and then death 
But I want you to know, because of Adam, that's what we have. But because of Christ, we have eternal life. I don't have to say, live this life the best you can because this is all there is. We can say, live this life for Christ because he has eternal life waiting for us. After this life, we have joy, we have peace, we have contentment. That means this, no matter what this world offers me, no matter what this world gives me, no matter what kind of life I live upon this earth, I don't care if I live in poverty, I don't care if I live in shame. If I've got Jesus Christ, I've got an eternal home forever and ever and ever. I've got salvation. Salvation. It doesn't matter what this life upon this world looks like. I've got a home in heaven because of Jesus Christ. Adam, your sin caused all of us to be born into sin, but Jesus Christ has quickened us or made us alive. Our Savior overcame. He overcame death. He overcame to hell. And he offers us victory. And lastly, I want you to write this down and I'll be finished. Not only do we see his identification, not only do we see, we see in verse 9 through 11 his identification, we see in verse 12 and 13 his preparation, we also see his declaration here. In verse number 14 of Mark chapter 1, now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. In Luke 4.18, the Bible says, The Spirit of the Lord was upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and reco- re- recovering of the sight of the blind, to set the liberty that uh, them that are bruised. The essence of Christ's message is found in verse number 15. He says this, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe ye the gospel. Listen, Jesus Christ came in Mark chapter 1. We see his identity. He is the Son of God. We find find here as well in closing his declaration the reason he came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. His declaration here, why, why, how can we celebrate next, uh, uh, next week, we ce- celebrate Resurrection Sunday, why, why should we as Christians get so excited about that day? Why should we as Christians do our best to gather as many people as we can into the house of God to hear the, 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 the message of salvation? Because that's why Jesus Christ came. They were living in Roman, Roman occupation at the time. The people of Israel were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a deliverer. But what they thought is that this Messiah would come and deliver them out of the hands of, of the Roman occupation. To set up his kingdom and, and rule and reign Israel. And Israel would once again be in her glory like in times past. And, and there would be free from occupation. There would be worship in the temple. The Messiah would come and all their problems would go away. I want you to know this. The Bible tells us that one day Jesus Christ is going to come again. Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. 
Jesus Christ is going to rule. He's going to be the Messiah. When he rules, there's going to be peace. He's going to come, and he's going to deliver mankind. But there's going to be an event that must take place, and he needed the people to see this, that the reason for him coming here, the reason for this time, the first time that he comes, he's coming to be their Savior. He's coming to be the lamb that was brought to slaughter. He's coming to go to the cross. He's coming to bear their sin upon him. He's coming not as the king, but he's coming as a lamb. He's coming to go to the cross. His declaration was this, that I am the one that is coming to preach the kingdom of heaven. I am the one that's coming to preach, repent, believe the gospel. The whole purpose of him coming for this time was so that mankind could be saved. Because of Adam's sin, because of the sin in the garden, because of that, each one of us are born into the sin nature. With the sin nature, we're born dead in trespasses and sin. And God said, I'm not willing to leave you in that state. Because if I leave you in that state and you die in that state, you will be eternally separated from me. The Bible says that he loved you and he loved me so much that he had a plan that his plan was to send his son, his only son. For three and a half years, his son preached salvation. He preached the gospel. He preached repentance. And he went to the cross. He was placed upon that cross, and on that cross he shed his blood. When that blood was gathered and presented before the mercy seat of God, God saw that pure blood And he said, that is sufficient payment for your sin. He is coming again. The first time he came, he came to forgive you, to be your sin debt. The second time he's come, he comes, he will establish his kingdom. His declaration was this, I've come so that man can have life. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, I beg of you today to trust him as your savior. Christian, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then we have something to rejoice in. Don't let the trials of this world, don't let the wilderness of life, don't let the problems of this world keep you from going and doing as Jesus told us to do, to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. Our responsibility now is to do what Christ came to do, and that was to tell the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and preach the gospel, the gospel of truth. Oh, I would hope this week, I would hope this week that you'd live your life different than anyone else. Because as the world lives their life this week, next Sunday is just another day. And for us as believers, next Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because of that event, this isn't the best we'll ever have. We have heaven. That ought to bring joy to a weary soul. That ought to bring life to a lifeless person. Let's take the message of Christ, the declaration he said, repent and believe on the gospel. And all as a church, let's take that this week and share that good news with a world that needs Jesus. Would you decide to do that this week?